The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. We are ready to go for another weekend, a weekend that includes an intriguing fight card in Manchester, England, with the son of a former legend in England, Chris Eubank Jr., in action with Liam Smith in the main event of that fight card. Uh, That and a lot of fight news. I am the somewhat capable host. He is from our Fight Freaks Unite uh, Substack and Big Fight Weekend content partner, Dan Rayfield, our insider. Good to be back with you on another edition of the Preview Podcast. Uh, how are we doing? It's not as it's not as crazy a weekend in the ring, but man, there's been a lot of news this week. How are you feeling since we talked to you last? I'm good. Like you said, been a lot of news. Kind of a quiet weekend, with, except for that one card that we're going to talk about. Uh, and then it's hopefully, uh, as they say, uh, TJ, business about to pick up. Let's hope so. Let's hope so with some of these fights. When last we were here, and by the way, thank you for finding us. As I always like to say, social media link, Dan Substack, Big Fight Weekend website. Make sure you're following. Make sure you're subscribing. You'll get an automatic uh, notification of a new episode of this podcast. How will they get that notification, Dan Rayfield? We always well, say this, especially know. for they people that are new. They're listening. They get a ding, a bell, a light, a vibration, a banner, all that Something. good stuff. Something that will tell them that we're here. And plus, if there's new or different content, fighter interviews, uh, different content that Dan has, you'll get an automatic notification that there's something new here. Now, typically the preview out overnight Thursday into Friday, recap show off the weekend, late Sunday into Monday when we come back in on a recap. So uh, that's our schedule. That's what we do. Uh, so when we left on the recap, we were wondering, uh, taping well, make sure that, that show. They, make sure they write, rate us also. They do. They do. They need to rate us and review us on uh on apple Podcasts in particular and some of you are doing that and some of you are sending us the ratings and reviews keep that going we're bribing you as dan made mention uh previously and you elaborated on this on the on the fight freaks unite recap earlier in the week you've got these cool souvenir tecate cups that you've collected for years uh from the fights in vegas in particular what did you say the mandalay bay would have oh, no, them, they're all right? over mgm the, the mgm all of them so so different fights You've got the souvenir cups cleaned out and washed, of course, preserved, of course, course, collector's items. You're going to let somebody get a couple of these from noteworthy fights if they rate us and review us and they take a screenshot and send it to us where we can see it. But they have to do it on Apple Podcasts. I've had people sending me pictures and I appreciate the nice reviews, but it's got to register on Apple Podcasts or it's not helpful. Right. It's not helping us. So so do it on Apple Podcasts. Send us a screenshot, tag Dan or and or tag Big Fight Weekend, then we can see it. And we'll draw somebody at the end of the month here in about 10 days that will win this. You've got time. Go sign up, rate, review. We love it. It's going to help us out. We're bribing you. We understand that. All right. So when we left that uh, recap, we were wondering about Oscar De La Hoya. You got some attention outside of this podcast, outside of the site with the phrase Oscar is Oscaring on uh, the whole situation with Gervonta Davis, Ryan Garcia, and whether there would be a formal contract. We now know, my friend, because Oscar put it out on social media, what else, that he did receive a formal contract. He's standing there with Ryan Garcia. Now, because you and I have done this once or twice before, that doesn't mean they've agreed. That doesn't mean they've signed off on everything. But he is in receipt of what he was asking for. All right, so just pick it up with that because that that tidies that up and ties the end off. They got the contract. And now the next step would be formally agree and have a press conference and get ready for the fight, right? Yes. Now, as we discussed in that previous uh, conversation, the things that were in the contract that they were to receive they had agreed to all the major points, all the important stuff, like how they're splitting up the money. When's the fight? What's the weight going to be for the fight? You know, all the different stuff that goes into putting on a major event. But you still have to take all that stuff and do a what is called a long-form contract. And that's when you got to get all the commas in the right place and all the T's crossed the right way and the I's dotted correctly. And then, obviously, both sides have to read through it, make sure that what PBC put in the contract that they sent to golden boy is what uh, they believe is what they agreed to. And golden boy's got to look at it and make sure it reflects what they believe that they agreed to inevitably. And this is not a bad thing. This would be in any contract. doesn't matter if it's a boxing match or, you know, some other kind of legal document, there's always going to be uh, comments that go back and forth between the sides, red lines, and we got to tweak this or change that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, anybody that's done any kind of contract knows that it happens. I mean, I've done 
you know, numerous contracts in my life uh, for different uh, jobs and right. certainly did a number of was over my lifetime of my employment at ESPN, et cetera. You know, you just want to make sure all the language is correct. So they have to go through that. Now, that sometimes can prove complicated and difficult. But if everybody's on the up and up, it's usually not that difficult of a situation. If there's a mistake or something that has to be clarified, it's usually not that big of a deal as long as people pay attention and get it done. So I'm hopeful that they'll see the contract, that it reflects what everybody believes that they agree to. Uh, they'll make their comments and it will take a few days or maybe a week or even two weeks for that matter. And at the end of the day, everybody will sign off. And like you said, we'll have uh, a formal announcement. They'll do a news conference. They'll send out some press releases. We'll talk to the fighters. They'll, they'll get their undercard together. We'll know where it is. We'll know when it is exactly. We know it's April 15th. We'll know the exact venue. You know, I suspect it will be the T-Mobile arena uh, or MGM grand. Those are the two buildings that they would work with in the, uh, in the city of Las Vegas. I don't know. I haven't looked at their calendars to know if there's some kind of, uh, event already scheduled for either of those uh, venues. Uh, but you can pretty much take to the bank that that'll be uh, where the fight will be held. Uh, one of those two locations. And, uh, you know, Oscar made some threats. I felt that they were empty threats. They didn't really mean a whole lot. And in the end, they didn't meet his deadline. And Oscar didn't walk like I knew he wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> but I, I can appreciate where he was coming from. He was trying to light a fire on everybody's rear end and, and get it done. And so from that standpoint, I guess it worked. Uh, they got the contracts. And now, you know, it's time to... Uh, to pin it down and, and let's get the thing signed. And as you said, though, it's boxing and it's complicated. And anytime you're dealing with uh, Golden Boy and PBC, uh, you know, stuff can happen that can throw a, a curveball or, uh, you know, screw things up. So while I'm about as positive as I can be without it actually being signed, uh, you know, there's still that small percentage in your back of your mind where you're like, okay, now what's the next shoe to drop? What's the next thing that's going to screw things up? And obviously, as we've said thousands of times since we've discussed this, there's still that court case that Javante yes. Davis faces in Baltimore coming up mid-February, which has to be handled uh, one way or the other. Um, nobody seems concerned on the Golden Boy side about that. Nobody seems concerned about that on the PBC side. Maybe they all know something that we don't know. I just know that uh, you know, pretty much a few times a week I go on the Baltimore uh, court website and I check, like I did just a couple – like yesterday, as a matter of fact, and it is still listed to start on February 16th at 12 noon, I believe it was, or 9 a.m. or something like that, and that's still scheduled. So until I don't see that on the calendar, uh, that situation has not been uh, handled. But we'll have to wait and see. But assuming that they know something that we don't know and the fight is going to go through uh, and they're going to get all things signed, I'm super pumped up. April 15th, uh, I'll be out there in Las Vegas to cover that fight, and uh, I can't wait. It's a very, very big-time fight. It's the biggest fight so far this year and we don't know every fight that's going to take place this year but it's going to be even at the end of the year it's going to be one of the biggest fights of the year i mean and that could mean like tyson fury against Wusik, or you know cross your fingers maybe we'll see crawford and errol spence maybe we'll see you know some other big time fight uh you know involving like a wilder or a joshua certainly canelo uh you know maybe a rematch with evil at some point you know there's other big names that are going to have big fights but certainly tank davis against uh, ryan garcia is going to be uh, one of the biggest fights this year all right, I would agree with that. Uh, let's move on with some other news. Now, you had been reporting from what you were hearing that Stephen Fulton and uh, Brandon Figueroa would rematch potentially off of what was a tremendous fight at the end of 2021 in late February. This is a good thing, though. Apparently, we're not getting that fight, but we're instead getting the monster moving up. Naoya Inouye, the former undisputed, just recently uh, crowned undisputed Bantamweight champion, will move up to 122 pounds and fight Fulton. What is the latest with this? And, and do we believe, how soon do we believe that that can happen, Dan? What's the latest? So Showtime 100% was planning on the rematch between Fulton and Figueroa at featherweight for the WBC's interim title. It was a bout that was ordered by the WBC at their convention this past November. Um, definitely they were planning on that fight. It was going to be on February 25th with the possibility that may have switched to a different day. But nonetheless, they were anticipating that fight. I know they were working on plans uh, to announce that and all that good stuff. But to Stephen Fulton's credit, he was holding out for the big fight. He wants to be great. Uh, there are a few fighters in this business when they tell you they'll fight anybody, anywhere, anytime, and I believe them. And through history, there's a few of those guys. Like when Evander Holyfield would say, I'll fight anybody, anywhere, anytime, you believe the guy. You know, there are certain fighters like that. James Tony was a guy like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's a handful of guys uh, that you could put in that category. Uh, I believe that Stephen Fulton is one of those types of guys. He has a desperate need to fight the best fighters. I believe him when he says that. He's, he's been desperate to do that. And he just did not want 
to not that he was afraid to fight a rematch with Figueroa. Look, he beat him the first time, even though it was very, very close. And there were certainly a, a, a number of folks that thought that Figueroa was the rightful winner of that fight. And it was a terrific fight also. It was one of the fight of the year candidates uh, back when they had that fight in 2021. But he wanted the big fight. And so once, in a way, uh, blew away um, uh, uh, Butler to unify the mm-hmm. titles, uh, Mr. Honda from Tekken Promotions over in Japan, uh, you know, in a way wanted to fight for a title. And listen, if you're in the junior featherweight division, there's only two guys you can fight. It's either MJ Akhmedaliev, who's got two of the belts, and Stephen Fulton, who's got the other two belts. So Stephen Fulton is the bigger fight. It's the bigger name. It's probably, frankly, the better fight in the boxing ring. And uh, they were in conversation with them. And Fulton, from everything I hear behind the scenes, was really the driving force. He's the one. And this is what boxers have to do. It's their life. It's their career. And certainly you have advisors and people that run your business and people that you can lean on. But in the end, it, you're, it's a one-man band. You're the one in the ring. You're the one that's going to take the punches. And you know what? He really wanted this fight. So he went to his team, his people, the PBC, all the folks involved, and was like, you know, not that I don't want to fight Brandon Figueroa, but I want to fight Inouye. I want this fight. And Inouye certainly wanted the fight. And there's so much money in a fight over there in Japan. So they were able to come to some type of agreement. I am told. And a big part of it, I don't mean to interrupt, just to interrupt, is he's willing to go to Japan to make it 100%. happen. That's yes. that's the big emphasis here. He's going to probably get more money, but that's probably. what you're saying. I mean, 100%. It, yes, he's willing to go do it there. Continue. So here's the thing. I mean, in Japan right now, with the, I don't know if it's been a formal retirement, but certainly he's not what he was, is with the exit from the top dog spot uh, in Ryota Murata and the combination of that plus, in a way, doing what he did. Uh, with the the fight of the year against Donaire a couple of years ago, the rematch, the unification, then ultimately the undisputed. He's a rock star now in Japan. He sells out big arenas there. He's a mainstream celebrity with endorsements. He's, you know, I'm not going to say he's LeBron James, you know, who's everywhere in the United States uh, on our, uh, uh, you know, in our um, ether, let's say. But in Japan, he's about as big as you can get as a sports star. And so the money, that's why he's not going to fight in the United States. He came over here during the pandemic. Uh, and he wanted to come to the United States. So he's fought here a couple of times. But the money is so enormous for him in Japan between the sponsorships that he has, the arenas that he sells out. Uh, the team he works with has a big, big lucrative streaming deal with Amazon Prime over in Japan, which is pays enormous amounts of money. That from the standpoint, if you're Stephen Fulton, A, I can test myself against a fighter that most people think is one of the top two or three boxers in the whole world. Two, I can make not only my biggest payday, but my biggest payday pay by, by multiples. And if I win, you know, I'm, I'm the man. If, if I lose, I mean, that sucks, but I, I lost to like a great fighter. It's not like he should be ashamed of that. He can come back here. So Fulton's willing to test himself. He's willing to go on, get on that plane, go to Japan the same way Paul Butler did. And then he made a career payday also for uh, Paul Butler. Paul Butler is the kind of fighter that, you know, could have lost for a hundred grand against a nobody. So why would he do that? Take the seven-figure payback. Exactly. And you know what? You know what? It's not like he didn't have the chance. If you land the right shot, anything can happen. And let me tell you, Stephen Fulton is a lot better of a fighter than, than right. Paul Butler. Stephen Fulton will have a chance in this fight. This is not the kind of fight where you look at it and go, oh, my God, that's a mismatch. No, 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 no. He's a natural, bigger guy. He's got a good experience. He's a good boxer. He's got good power. He's also got what you need. He's got the mentality. Like, he doesn't give a shit. He's like, I can beat that guy. He don't care if the fight's on Mars, much less Japan or, you know, in Philadelphia where he's from. So, uh, you know, he had, I guess I'm told that they had to do a little bit of arm twisting on his side to make it happen. But you know what? To Al Heyman's credit, he doesn't look a lot of people want to dump all over Al Heyman. I'm not going to do that. Al Heyman, uh, he was able to, to, to put whatever his plans were aside and, and, and do what was best for Stephen Fulton, which is get him the big mega fight with a chance to become a, a much, much bigger name. Um, and everybody worked together. And again, they're exchanging drafts of contracts. And if it all gets done, which I suspect it will, uh, given how badly both sides want it in terms of the fighters, we're looking at a springtime fight in Japan, which means uh, ESPN Plus in the United States, most likely, uh, and uh, Amazon Prime streaming in the, in, in, J- in Japan. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a beautiful fight for so many reasons. It doesn't feel like a forced fight. It's not a fight between old men. It's not a fight like we've been begging for for six years and now it's going to happen three years too late. This is a fight that the old saying in boxing, TJ, fights make fights. Yes. So Stephen Fulton unified, been looking for a big fight. In a way, we came undisputed, wants to go up and have a big fight. And that that made it for a natural uh, pairing. You have one guy that is a big, big, big draw where he's from. Fulton 
is the kind of guy that's not a big draw, uh, at least not at this point, but who's willing to get on that on that on that plane and go over and uh, and put his, his his belts up, make a ton of money. And they're in their primes, basically. I mean, in a way, I love this. Uh, let me let me interject. 20s. How refreshing. How refreshing. And they want to fight each other in their primes and do it in short order and not make us wait until July or August. No I'm all about this. I'm a, no I, I love this. Headers, no tune-ups. Look, Stephen Fulton is 28 years old. He's 21 and 0 with eight knockouts. He's got two of the world titles. In a way, is a three division champion looking for number four. He's 24 and 0 with 21 knockouts. He's 29 years old. These are guys who are fresh. These guys who are seeking legacy. In a way, he's already going to be a Hall of Famer. But if he goes up and wins a title by beating the number one guy in that weight class, I mean, nothing against Aquindalia, but most people at this stage of the game would tell you Stephen Fulton, at least, uh, uh, you know, in this moment in time, he's the number one fighter in the junior featherweight division. Uh, and it's just everything we dump on, we bullshit, and we get all upset about the bad mm -hmm. stuff in boxing. This is the kind of thing where normal people made a reasonable, rational business deal to give the fans and the sport a great matchup that's beneficial for the sport, beneficial for us fans, beneficial for the fighters because it's going to line their pockets with millions of dollars, and it's a legacy-making fight. So uh, for all the bitching and moaning, I definitely do. Uh, I'm also uh, cool enough and fine enough to say when when it's right, it's right, and give everybody props for doing something and, and making uh, me shake my head and say, you know what, goddamn, sometimes people actually do the right thing, and this is one of those times. We like that. Again, we're coming to the uh, Eubank Jr. Liam Smith preview in a little bit uh, for that Saturday afternoon, U.S. time, Saturday night, primetime Manchester, England uh, battle that will be taking place. That's the most prominent fight card that's out there for this weekend. It's part of our preview. Hey, let me back up. Uh, Gervonta Davis, one more piece of news. You reported on Thursday that you've learned the final pay-per-view tally and the range where it's coming in, and it's pretty comparable for this uh, TKO win over Hector Luis Garcia a couple of weeks ago. You were in attendance. Took a little time to calculate, but again, fill the audience in just real quick on the pay-per-view numbers and how it stacks up with his other pay-per-views and recent sure, stuff. Uh, my reporting tells me that this fight will do in excess of 200,000 pay-per-views, that's in the United States. That's all platforms, whether it's on linear television, on ppb.com, on some other streaming platform, on uh, uh, wherever you bought the fight legally, that would be reflected in that number. Uh, over 200,000, probably not more than 215,000. So that's the range. Uh, that means you're talking about a, a, a gross of around $15 million, uh, obviously a little over $16 million if that went to the upside, to the upper side of that number, meaning the 215. Um you know, at $75 a, a home, you can figure that out. Obviously, the gross, you know, the, the cable operators and everybody else that uses uh, gives up their pipe, so to speak, to let the fight go through, takes their their piece. But that's still, uh, you know, people complain, oh, it's not a million buys. It's not this, not that. It doesn't really matter. All that matters is did you did you reap more money on the on the on the receipts than it cost you to do the event? And the answer is absolutely yes, particularly when you take that 16 or so million dollar gross, 15 million dollar gross or so you add in the almost $5.2 million for the live gate in terms of tickets, which was the record at the Capital One Arena for their fight that took place January 7th in Washington, D.C. And then you add on the other revenue, whether it's selling a T-shirt or it's what it did in terms of the foreign sales or whatever they had in terms of like, you know, the sponsorships that they had on the ring mats and in the advertising and all that. So, you know, this was a, a fight that for a change on a pay-per-view basis probably did not lose money. Everybody made money. The fighters made good paydays. Uh, they put on a good event, and uh, and that's the way it is. But the thing about that that's very interesting to me as somebody that's chronicled and tracked pay-per-view numbers for my entire career, uh, Tank Davis, he's in a certain spot right now where pretty much whoever he fights is doing you know, 200,000 on the low side, high 200s on the high side. So he's had five pay-per-view main events now in his career, all on Showtime pay-per-view, all over the last uh, couple of years, starting in uh, 2020. His first pay-per-view event with Leo Santa Cruz all the way through the fight he just had earlier this month. And every one of those fights is done, like I said, a minimum of 200, topped out at 275, which was the number for the Roley Romero fight. And this fight with Hector Luis Garcia, like I said, between 200 and 215, to me, that's actually really good because Hector Luis Garcia was is not he's a he's an excellent fighter, but he's not a known opponent. He wasn't like a big name, didn't speak English, so really didn't help in terms of promoting it to the uh, American audience. Right. Um, the fight was on a bad date from the point of view of pay-per-view on January 7th. 
you're one week after the, all the holidays you really didn't, you know, and you lose, there's no oxygen during the Christmas week and, and, and new year's week. So you've lost a tremendous amount of attention because everybody is basically, you know, they've, they're finishing up with the holidays they're on school right. vacations. They're doing all kinds of other things besides worrying about whether I'm buying a $75 pay-per-view. So a lot of people may not have even known about the event and it didn't have like a massive promotion. So the date was not a great date. Uh, and as I mentioned to you, it was not a big name opponent. And frankly, uh, and this was told to me by people that were involved that knew about the numbers, which is we're very happy with that number because a lot of people might who may have known about it but didn't purchase the fight may have been looking at like, OK, I'm going to wait and save my money for the big fight because they viewed Tank against Hector Luis Garcia as merely a quote unquote tuna fight, knowing that if everything goes well, we're going to look at the big mega fight with Ryan Garcia down the road. So do I spend the 75 bucks now or? see if he wins. And then I'm definitely buying the Ryan Garcia down the road in the spring. So for them to do 200,000 plus at that time of year on that date, as a, as a tune-up fight, essentially against a, uh, again, not a bad opponent or an unworthy opponent, but a, not an opponent with a, a big reputation or, or a well-known name. Uh, you know, I thought it was a very, very strong number, all things considered. So that just shows you uh, Tank Davis, love him or hate him. He is the biggest attraction in boxing in the United States other than Canelo Alvarez, who fights primarily in the United States, who is obviously the face of boxing uh, and does the biggest numbers. But Tank does bigger numbers on pay-per-view and in gates than, unless you're making a true mega fight, Tyson Fury, uh, Deontay Wilder. Obviously, when they're fighting each other, that's different. But right. on their own, like when Tyson Fury first came to America and fought the couple of fights in Vegas against Tom Schwartz and against Otto Whalen, um, they could barely, they were had to give tickets away. I mean, they couldn't draw flies to a dump those two right fights. I mean, yep now he became much bigger because of them they helped they were good fights whatever good performances it it, 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 it uh parlayed itself into the rematch in the third fight against uh Deontay Wilder but you got to start somewhere but Fury on his own against a, a regular kind of opponent is not a big draw in this country unlike the UK where he can draw 80,000 you know against uh Dillian White right. or you know whatever well and the same argument could be made maybe up until the last couple of them that if Gervonta Davis was fighting in the UK would Gervonta Davis be selling out an arena just fighting a nobody we're talking about well, and would he sell pay-per-views it's kind of the same thing but now Gervonta Davis has gotten bigger Gervonta Davis has gotten bigger Gervonta Davis actually did a title defense at 130 pounds in London not in a big big arena but in a decent arena and he did sell it out but was it a noteworthy opponent? Was it a no, big time? Really. Okay, all right. So that's a good comparison then. But the other thing about Javante also, and this is fascinating to me, again, most of the time the guys who are the big ticket sellers, if they're in a mega fight, they can certainly sell tickets in New York or Los Angeles mm -hmm. or Las Vegas, et cetera. Or you can bring them to their hometown. You know, whether Terrence Crawford sells wherever, it doesn't matter. But if he's in Omaha, he sells a ton of tickets. Yes. You know, guys who are in their hometowns are selling tickets. Javante Davis has sold out arenas in New York City. Yep. In Baltimore, which is his hometown. Atlanta. Washington, D.C., which is close to his hometown. Atlanta, Los Angeles. He's he's one of the only fighters I can think of, not just in today's game, but in the last, I don't know, 20 years since I've been doing this, that can really, you can take him to any big city in the United States, uh, an urban center that has like, you know, an NBA type of arena, an NHL type of arena, put him in there in a decent fight, do a nice promotion, and you're going to sell a ton of tickets. And the Barrios fight was in the Alamo Dome, correct? Or was that in the arena? And it was, it had big sales against Mario yeah, Barrios in San Antonio. Because the Alamo Dome can hold 60,000 people. Was that, so, I, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, was that Alamo Dome or yes. was that the arena? But he still, they they still easily had fifteen or 20,000 there. They, oh, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, and Barrios was some of that. But yeah, again, to that. the point, I mean, he's going to different regions of the United States and and doing well with arenas, and that bodes well. Listen, again, he sold well out multiple times on the East Coast. He sold out on the West Coast, sold out overseas, and maybe didn't sell out the Alamo Dome. The Atlanta like, one, if I recall, was New Year's out. weekend, to your yes. point, and he sold, sold it out. out. So, yes. So he's and a, a big draw. crowd in Texas. Yes. He's a draw. And just give me a quick answer. The educated belief would be that the Garcia fight will legitimately look at half a million pay-per-views probably and maybe bigger. Maybe you think it will be bigger because of uh, Garcia's star power and Gervonta Davis just seeing what we see and the the build-up, the promotion. If he's getting two hundred to 250000 regularly, I can easily see that double for Ryan Garcia, my opinion. Your thought I, just real quick? I think you're absolutely correct. I think it has a real chance uh, – depending on what else is happening in the world or in the world of sports on that date, 
if the promotion goes well and you know that Tank and Ryan are going to chirp away at each other, uh, certainly Ryan is going to have a lot to say. And Ryan brings in that TMZ crowd, that TMZ coverage. You know, Tank's TMZ coverage, unfortunately, is when he gets arrested, uh, which is not a good thing, but it's still his name is out there. Like, these are guys who are known to, like, mainstream people. If you follow TMZ on your Facebook page or on your Twitter feed or on your other, your Instagram, whatever, you're going to see stuff about Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis. So I, I agree. It's a longer answer than I think you wanted. But yes, I, okay. can see, I can see that fight doing uh, half a million, maybe even a lot more than that in terms of pay-per-view. It's going to get a gargantuan amount of hype, and which is amazing because it's not even a championship fight. But the people that are their fans of Tank and of Ryan, they don't give a shit if it's for a belt. And who cares? It's a great matchup between two young guys you want to see fight. Uh, all right. Uh, one more news item. And this is interesting because it, it, I, I was I was surprised. I contacted my man, Rayfield, and you went, yeah, this is a shocker. All right. So scale of one to ten, one, you're not shocked at all. Ten is the most shocking thing ever. Edgar Berlanga no longer with top rank. When you found that out, was what number on the scale? I didn't think it was ten, but what number no. on the scale? Um, I would say it was probably like a seven. Yeah. So I was not totally, totally shocked. And the reason I was not totally, totally shocked is because I know that there was definitely um, a severe difference of opinion between the brain trust at top rank and Berlanga, his manager, and his father. They, they had a disagreement over the direction of his career, the types of opponents he should face, whether he should maybe step back and fight an undercard fight to get a little more experience and bring back the confidence and maybe get another knockout. Uh, plus about what they expected to be paid. They were on a different level of that. So there was a lot of back and forth. They just could not figure out what the best course of action should be. And so when top rank started to schedule their 2023 early part of the calendar, you know, we know what's in January. Now we know what's in February. The dates started coming out about what's in March. Now, even though they haven't been officially announced, um, I have, as well as other outlets have reported about dates for uh, Shakur Stevenson in April, for example. Uh, there are other fights being scheduled. Now, Berlanga, he's not injured. He was in his most recent fight that took place uh, in the summer. But remember, he got suspended for six months because he tried to bite uh, uh, Angulo in the, mm -hmm. on the shoulder and then joked about it in the post-fight interview. And he got suspended for six months by the New York State Commission, got fined 10 grand. But that suspension was over, you know, in December. So he's been one of your guys who's been in the main event. So you figure if top rank is already scheduled into April and there's no Berlanga to be seen on there, I kind of was thinking to myself, there's a problem because I know he's not hurt. Right. And, uh, you know, and I talked to the guys at top rank and I, I, I talked to uh, Berlanga's manager, Keith Connolly. So, you know, you knew there was something going on now. Did I think it was going to result in a release like that, you know, or a separation agreement? I don't know if I would go that far. But when I heard the news and was told the news by both the manager and by Top Rank, I must say I was a little surprised. But when I thought about it for a few seconds, I was like, you know what? I'm not totally shocked because for a change in boxing, people did the right thing. There was no lawsuits. There was no threats. It was like, look, we cannot come to an agreement. We are at an impasse. We think the best direction for Edgar Berlanga's career is this on this level, at this kind of fight, at this kind of price point, and, and their side just disagreed and they had other ideas. And that's, I'm not even saying one side's right, one side's wrong. They believe what they believe and the, and the company believe what they believe. And if you're not going to be able to come to an agreement on that, they did the adult thing. Amazingly, the adult thing happened in boxing. We just wash our hands. Uh, thank you for the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the relationship and you know, good luck going forward, which is basically what everybody said. They, they publicly, they all thanked everybody. Um, even behind the scenes when I've talked to them, it hasn't been, uh, I haven't, I haven't really felt animosity about it. I mean, there's maybe some disappointment because it didn't work out and everybody would have liked to do a little bit better. Uh, but in the end, the top rank moves on. They have an awesome stable of young fighters. Tremendous. As I've said on this podcast numerous times, the best batch of prospects in boxing, uh, bar none. And, uh, you know, Berlanga hasn't looked good in his last few fights. He did get suspended for six months for a stupid, uh, decision to try to bite the guy. And, uh, you know, we'll see where he lands. Now the manager, Keith Connolly swears to me that there's been no, a specific conversation with another promoter because they were under a, a um, confidentiality before this occurred. So we couldn't go out there and shop him around as they were preparing right. to separate. Now that he's separated and it's all official and he's free to go and he's, they've said stuff publicly uh, that they're free. 
uh, look, we all know what the, there, there's only so many places in boxing you can go to get the kinds of fights at that level of money and exposure. You know, there's basically, at least in the United States, you're talking like four promoters. There's top rank, which he's not going to be with. There's PBC and their side of, you know, their, their side TGB promotions. And there's Golden Boy. And there's, of course, Matchroom. Uh, top rank's out of that equation. I just don't see him fitting in the Golden Boy uh, equation, frankly. Nothing against them. I just don't see that happening. So now you're down to Eddie Hearn and Matchroom or PBC. Now, Connolly, the manager, has done tremendous business with both of them. He's got a very good relationship with Eddie Hearn. They've been involved with fighters together. Daniel Jacobs, uh, they, they are involved with fighters currently. He's done a lot of business with PBC, including with Daniel Jacobs and others, uh, Sergey Devinchenko with PBC and some others. So I would think one of those two locations would seemingly be the place he goes. A lot of people suspect he'll wind up with Eddie Hearn, uh, who obviously has got some guys in and around that weight class, but we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. I will go on the record. Uh, just my opinion. He's made a mistake. He's made a mistake. He over, uh, I guess they overestimate what his actual value is. And I think you'll hear subsequent frustration that they're not getting a very good deal to fight whomever. And so let's just see on Berlanga. Let's see if it's not, you know, six months from now, a year from now, it's still, Hey, I'm not getting good enough fights. What's going on? Blah, blah, well, blah. That's uh, just my tell you, They were offering certain fights that, and I'm not saying it's the kid, but it, it could have been the manager. It could be the father right. of a certain level that they didn't want to take. Now, the point that, that top rank would make, and this is not just about Berlanga. This is about any of the fighters that they promote. It's This is literally not about, this is fighter A. Philosophy. This is their philosophy. 100%. And by the way, it's and they've been living by this philosophy for as long as I have covered uh, Bob Aram's company. They will pay fighters a tremendous amount of money. I mean, the, the, the proof is in the track record of the amounts of money that they pay fighters. But what they don't want to do is pay a lot of money for you to fight a complete nothing, which is not good for your development as a fighter. It's not good for their paying audience that might buy a ticket. It's not good for their broadcast partner, ESPN, which is banking on a compelling fight to get a rating. And it's not good for your subsequent fight with you because it doesn't do anything to market the subsequent fight, which is next Correct. level, which we understand. So if Berlanga and his team, if, if they wanted to fight a certain level of opponent, what would be reflected in that would be your position on the card and the amount of money you're going to make. If you want to step up and fight a much better grade of opponent, and be in the main event and that sort of thing. Obviously, we can pay you more, but the the, the sides were at a different point of view about what that line was of what yeah, constitutes I got you. that fight for the more money. Well, but we also I'm know being that, very diplomatic. Here, yeah, I know you are, but here's the bottom line too: He sure. knocked out a bunch of guys that obviously, uh, you know, forgettable tomato can variety, whatever, in the first round, and then the last four fights he hadn't knocked anybody out. Stepping and they were up a better of opponent. Yes, yeah, stepping up to better competition made him look like a no, a normal super middleweight instead of a superhuman knockout machine like Mike Tyson. So there's the rub. And now nope. I'm sure Top Rank is sitting back going, "If you exactly what you said, if you want to be paid significantly more, you're going to fight an even bigger level of fighter than you've been fighting." There you go. So So one more thing about that. The worst thing in the world that ever happened in Edgar Berlanga's career, in my opinion, and nothing against Edgar. I like Edgar. He's a nice guy. I've interviewed him many times. Cool guy. Get along good with the manager, Keith Connolly. His dad's a cool guy. Anyway, here's the thing. The worst thing that ever happened to him was 16 consecutive first-round knockouts. The best thing that could have happened for his development, he might not have gotten as much hype, but if he had gone like four rounds in like his sixth fight, or maybe stopped the guy in like the fifth round in his eighth fight, or something like that, you know, people would still look at him the same. He would be 16 and 0 with maybe 15 knockouts and had gone into the third round or the fourth round. And so that would still be impressive, but it wouldn't have that, that, okay, I have to watch the fight. And like, you're watching ESPN and you know, the commentators are like counting down. Is he going to get out of the first minute? Is he going to get out of the second minute? This is, you know, he knocked it out in 90 seconds last time. Is he going to get past 90 seconds? There was so much hype and so much undue pressure to continue that streak. And believe me, I am, I'm top ranks matchmaker is Brad Goodman, who's going into the Hall of Fame uh, this coming June where he belongs. I've been friends with Brad for almost 30 years. I mean, before we were ever uh, deeply involved in boxing as we became. Um, Brad's a great matchmaker, truly. And I would talk to him and 
they were desperately trying to find opponents that could go rounds with Berlanga because they always want to get their young guys rounds. It helps their development. And he landed some nice shots and got rid of them. They were getting frustrated because, you know, there was a fine line. You don't want to step him up too much, but you don't want to put him in with too much of a patsy. And he kept knocking guys out. When he finally went the distance with uh, Damon Nicholson, who he looked good against, even though he went eight rounds, but he dropped them about four times or whatever. And then he started going the distance after that. He suffered. Remember, in the one fight, he went the distance with uh, Coceres, who had fought for a world title. He got knocked down in that fight. Yes, he did. And he also showed a lot of heart and balls by overcoming and winning legitimately, despite having suffered a severe biceps tear in like the third round of the fight. So the first two distance fights were understandable. Demond Nicholson, hard head, scored a bunch of knockdowns, won a shutout, no problem there. Then you come off the injury and you get dropped, but you show heart and balls and made a good fight and you won. So those two distance fights were cool, fine. The the problem was the next distance fight against Steve Rolls, who got smoked by Triple G in four rounds. Then came the uh, Romer and Gulo fight where he bit him. That certainly didn't help. It alienated him from a lot of the Puerto Rican fans and it just kind of went downhill. And now we will see if he has made a mistake. And I believe, again, my opinion, he has. Berlanga, we shall see. Okay, we have got something still left to do. It is Eubank Jr. and Liam Smith. Time to preview that in just a moment. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. Back in once more as we get ready for uh, an interesting fight for Chris Eubank Jr. No, it's not Connor Ben. It is Liam Beefy Smith uh, in action in Manchester, England, a 12-round main event. We are ready to preview that fight card and talk a lot more uh, about it here. Dan Rayfield, we call you back in. Uh, all right, so they have hyped this thing this week. Manchester, a great fight town in the U.K., um, and so now we get ready for this matchup where again, Eubank Jr. had hoped to fight Connor Ben, but the positive drug test called all that off. How anxious are you for this for Saturday afternoon, U.S. time and that main event? I mean, it's a good fight. It's, uh, I mean, is it the biggest fight in the world? No, but it's, it's, a, it seems like on paper it should be a competitive matchup. Uh, they've both been good fighters for a long time, veterans of the sport. Uh, Liam Smith has been a world champion in the 154 pound weight class. Eubank has been in with lots of good fighters. He had an interim title for a minute. Uh, you know, they've been talking a good game. Has a pretty solid undercard, the best I can tell, between, uh, uh, you know, particularly with Joe, Joe Parker coming back on that undercard uh, to take on Jack Massey. You've got uh, uh, the the up-and-coming cruiserweight, uh, Richard Ricapore, against the former world champion, Christoph Kowalski. I mean, so there's, you know, it's 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 a solid card. I mean, I don't know if I would love it if I was living in the U.K. and had a want, want to watch it but had to buy it on uh, Sky Box Office as a pay-per-view. In the United States, though, if you like boxing, there's no excuse because it's live on zone, just part of your regular subscription package. Uh, for those who care, 2 p.m. Eastern time is the start of the main card. Uh, obviously, the main event a couple, you know, a few hours later. But uh, no, it's a, it's a nice fight. I mean, the winner of the fight's going to take a big step forward and probably get some other big opportunity. Um, uh, Eubank, as you mentioned, he's he's was very disappointed, obviously, with what happened uh, in you know just days before his big fight with uh, Connor Ben. Uh, Liam Smith has been on a pretty good run lately. I mean, he. He, um, if you go back uh, a few years ago, he had a fight that he had in Russia. This is in uh, 2021 where he lost against an undefeated up-and-comer. But ever since then, he's won three fights in a row. He's got a nice win uh, by a knockout against Anthony Fowler, which was a good sort of uh, UK grudge match kind of fight. Then he came to New York City and he knocked out Jesse Vargas, a former two-division world champion. Jesse, of course, was fighting a bit over his normal weight, but he looked good in that fight. And then he went back to the UK, had one more uh, knockout win against a much lesser opponent back in September. But he's got Three in a row, uh, solid performances, and now he gets this opportunity. Um, so it's a good fight. I mean, I, I think it's worth your time to watch it. Um, I don't think it's necessarily fight of the year, but you know what? It's I can never get upset if you present to me a fight with interesting guys in the main event and the fight is not some kind of wild, you know, 80, 20, 70. It's like a 60, 40, 50, 50 kind of fight. I, I don't necessarily know who's definitely going to win. I, I think Eubank is probably uh, should be the favorite. I think he is the favorite. Uh, but if Liam Smith springs the upset, it wouldn't be a shocker. He's done it before. And, uh, you know, nothing else going on on boxing on Saturday, so I'm down for it, my man. 
Yeah, we are, and this is what we do with the preview and in the preview mode uh, for this matchup. For Eubank Jr., again, he's the son of a legendary fighter, uh, so he's been in that shadow. Uh, he's won his last six fights after suffering his uh, second career loss. Um, and Eubank Jr., by the way, minus 300 on the bet U.S. line. Liam Smith, plus 225, fairly even fight, over under 10 and a half rounds. We'll predict it more on the bet U.S. boxing show. Uh, but I mean, this this will be a raucous uh, arena in oh, yeah. Manchester, and it should be a lot of fun to see if we have some fireworks in this and one Saturday guy, afternoon. Neither guy's from Manchester, so there'll be a good British crowd, but it won't be one sided in terms of the cheering crowd. I wouldn't think, as you mentioned, Eubanks got a nice winning streak. He's coming off a win over Liam Williams, who was in a world title. Another fight Liam, right? Against Demetrius Andre at 160 pounds, uh, and like I said, Liam's on a good run. Um, even when Liam Smith fought against Canelo Alvarez back, you know, several years ago, I was at that fight at uh, AT&T stadium in, in uh, Arlington, Texas. And, you know, he got stopped in that fight, lost his title to Canelo, but he put up a tough fight that night. Yes. Uh, by the way, uh, Eubank Jr. Did get off a good line at the press conference on Thursday afternoon in Manchester because he was knocking Tony Bellew, who's been critical of him, uh, et cetera. Uh, did you hear this? Eubank Jr. saying, I thought Tony Bellew was the biggest a-hole in Liverpool, England. Now I'm not so sure it's not Liam Smith who's the biggest a-hole. And he didn't say a-hole. Uh, so that that drew a little bit of a, I, a roar and a laugh from the crowd. I, I, I do know, find that I do find go. that funny because, again, I can't sit here and tell you like Liam Smith and I are best buddies. But I've met him a few times at fights. I covered the Canelo fight, interviewed him. Uh, the whole family, he comes from, you talk about Eubank as the son of the legend, uh, uh, Nigel Ben, but Liam Smith is from the, the British fighting family. You know, Paul Smith was a world contender. Obviously, he's got his brothers uh, also have been fighting. There's a whole bunch of the, the brothers that were boxers. Uh, and uh, I've always found the whole group of guys, all those Smith brothers, they're nice guys. You know what I mean? There's nothing. They're not. I would. The last word in my mind that would come to me to describe them would be uh, asshole. So, you know, but I hear, you know, Eubanks trying to stir it up a little bit. Sure. I get that. All um, right. All right, undercard. Uh, interesting. Uh, Richard Rakapore, if I say that right, and Glowaski, correct? Uh, former world champion at cruiserweight. They're the co-feature. You mentioned Joseph Parker and Jack Massey also on the main card as heavyweights. What What do we think about these other two fights? How worthwhile? Yeah, I mean, look, Rakapore. He's he's a little bit older. He's already like thirty three years old, and he's only got fifteen fights. But he's considered on the rise. He's looked good in recent fights. He's undefeated at fifteen and oh. And this is a chance for him to step up against what I consider like the first like quote. I won't say I'm not going to knock his other opponents, but his first opponent that's been against a lot of good guys. And as an example, we, we talked a few weeks ago on the podcast when we were discussing the uh, Chris Billum Smith fight, for example. Mm -hmm. So Rick Capore has a win against Billum Smith going back in 2019. Um, he has a win over Jack Massey, who's also on this card. That was as a cruiserweight. Now Massey's fighting up at heavyweight. But so, but Gowaski's experienced. Um, he's 32 and three. He's from, you know, from Poland. He's, he's got one win, but before that he lost a couple of fights. He's been stopped. He fought Myris Bredis, got knocked out early, fought Lawrence Acoli, uh, uh in a world title fight for the vacant uh, cruiserweight WBO title, got knocked out. Um, but he's also got some memorable fights. He gave Alexander Usyk a very tough uh, fight back in the, uh, in a cruiserweight title fight back several years ago, 2016, I want to say. He had a tremendous battle with Steve Cunningham. He had a fight of the year type fight with Marco Hook. Now, these are back in 2015-16. So he's older, and he's a little bit more worn down. He's been stopped, but he's a dangerous guy because he can crack a little bit, and he's got some heart. And, uh, you know, obviously it's Rick Pore as they're building up his name, and it'd be a good name to get on his record. He's the favorite. But uh, I suspect, you know, if he doesn't go through Gowaski real quick, like I think some people think he might, then it could really turn into like a really interesting, solid fight. And as far as the other fight that you mentioned between uh, Jack Massey and Joseph Parker, I mean, Massey is a guy uh, that he's like the house fighter, if you will. He's the one that's with the promotion, but he's taken on a tough dude. I mean, Massey's 20 and one. The one loss, as I mentioned, was to Rick Apore back as a cruiserweight. This is back in 2019. He's won like, I don't know what it is, four or five fights in a row. You know, it's going to be his first real fight at heavyweight. I think he had one or two fights that were just slightly over 200. But this is a real heavyweight fight against a career heavyweight in Joe Parker, who has had the WBO title, who has faced every, you know, everybody you want to think of pretty much, whether it was Joe Joyce in his last fight or Chisora twice or, you know, Junior Fa 
or Dillian White. I mean, he's fought a lot of good guys. He fought Huey Fury. He fought Andy Ruiz when he first won the world title that he had. So he's had a lot of experience against the top guys. And uh, But I think the Massey people think they might be getting him at the right time. I mean, Joe Parker, he really took a beating in the last fight against Joe Joyce back in September. And he got knocked out, and it was a bad knockout, and now he's coming back. And so, you know, can he get himself together enough to beat up on a right. much smaller guy in Massey? Or is it Massey's opportunity to uh, to get a guy at a good spot and maybe score a career win? Again, heavyweights, it's interesting. Uh, Parker's usually in good fights, so, you know, as an undercard fight, and it's like the third fight down because I think the Rhea Kapoor fight is actually the uh, the co-feature. You are correct. Uh, you know, I'm in for it. Parker minus one thousand, by the way, on the Bet US line. Massey plus wow. six hundred on yeah, that. That's, so just that's, interesting. That's pretty wide. I All just right. know this today. My uh, my wife and son have an activity that they'll be doing on Saturday afternoon, uh, in the late afternoon, early evening, and I will be uh, watching on one of either my television or my device or wherever. I will be just chilling out watching the fights. All right, we'll see how those go. By the way, there is a Showtime fight card. The Showbox series kicks off for twenty twenty three and. Uh, Sean Hempel will be in action uh, in the main event on that, a New Orleans uh, super middleweight fighter. He will be in the eight-round main event on that one. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Barry Tompkins, Raul Marquez, Brian Campbell, our guys with Showbox, the longest continuous-running prospect series on TV. Now, what in its 22nd calendar year of uh, of fights? That will be on Friday night on uh, As Showbox. As I like to say, TJ, I don't know how many people – are still around uh, writing about boxing, but I, I was there present for the first ever Showbox. Yes, you and were. And this is a, the card on Friday, you know, is a typical Showbox card. And when I say that, that's said in the most loving way because they've taken guys that a lot of people don't know. They've And the, the mantra of the show is match your prospects in their toughest fight. It seems like that's the case. And and as you mentioned about uh, Hemphill in the main event against David Stevens, both undefeated, the fight that I'm actually intrigued by more so, frankly, than the main event, not that the main event is bad or anything like that, but I've heard a lot of hype and a lot of stuff about the co-feature, one of the guys in the co-feature, to matches the 7-0 Atif Overton against the 12-0 Artem Brusov. And I've heard a lot of things about Overton. I'm interested to see him in action against a guy that is supposed to give him some competition also. So, you know, it, it, it's one thing for us to talk about the present of boxing, like a, a Eubank and a, and a Liam Smith who are, you know, veterans in a, in a main event looking to get into like world title contention but the prospects are fun too because they're at the very you know embryonic stages if you will of a career that could wind up in in we could be talking about them in the main part of a preview i mean i know that uh, gordon hall and all the boys at showbox uh they take great pride in the fact that you can go back and look over the course of the history of that great series and i i don't know the exact number uh gordon hall could tell you in his sleep i'm sure i don't know is it like you know, 50 or something like, or I don't know what, it's a tremendous. I think the last they told us it's over 70, over 70, 70 world champions that have appeared well, on Showbox at one point or another on the way up. But before they were champions is the point. Correct. Yes. Like as you saw on the way up, you know, you saw Ricky Hatton on Showbox way back at the beginning of the series before he was a world champion. And he became one of the biggest stars in boxing. You saw, you know, plenty of those guys. Andre Ward was on Showbox mm -hmm. as a young fighter, and it just Errol goes on Spence. Up. Errol Spence was on it. Yeah, yes, up and up and up. So, All right, uh, uh, those and, young guys can take that next step. And I was going to mention uh, Oberton is from Philadelphia, light heavyweight, and then in the main event, Hempel is from New Orleans, uh, fourteen and zero, eight KOs. David Stevens, the opponent, is a Reading, Pennsylvania. Reading or Reading? I don't ever get that right. Reading or Reading? Reading. Reading, Reading, Pennsylvania, not far from Bethlehem, uh, where they're having this at the uh, the Wind Creek Casino is where that will be on, uh, on uh, Friday. There we go. I bet you didn't know this, by the way. I have covered fights in Reading, Pennsylvania. You have, and I bet Bernard you can tell Hopkins. me without even looking. What 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 yeah. was the fight? Just real quick. Without even Bernard looking. Hopkins was in a defense of the undisputed middleweight title, and also uh, the rematch between uh, uh, Ricardo Mayorga and Andrew Sixheads Lewis when Ricardo Mayorga won the welterweight title. There you go. That's why you are who you are. Uh, we have an anniversary, too. We talked about Tito Trinidad, 50 years old last week, turning 50. Uh, and now the anniversary of the Roy Jones fight, as we release the podcast, we're taping it late Thursday. This is the 15th anniversary of Jones-Tito Trinidad? That's How about that? So, I mean, okay, so what that means is that was the last fight of Felix Trinidad's career. He had come out of a three-year, almost a three-year retirement after he got batted around for 12 rounds by Winky Wright and he moved up to 100 and they did the fight at like 170. 
He actually mm. weighed more than Roy Jones by like a half a pound. Uh, Roy, of course, had been the light heavyweight champion for so many years. He came down a couple of pounds to accommodate Tito Trinidad. The, the reason why this fight is meaningful in my mind, it had no right to be meaningful, but it was a big promotion. It did like over a half a million on pay-per-view. It was probably, not probably, it was the last really big fight that Don King promoted solo by his company. I mean, he's been involved with a few fights along the way here and there, but this was a big Don King promotion because it was in January. They were promoting the fight all through December. And every time Don was out there beating the drums to, and, and uh, doing interviews and TV appearances and all kinds of different promotional activities, uh, he spent a month wearing a Santa Claus suit. Don King with a Santa Claus suit. <laughs> Everywhere he went, he wore that damn Santa Claus suit. That's uh, promoting this enough. Fight. So, that... so if you go back years ago when Felix Trinidad, and we talked about this on the 50th uh, birthday uh, commentary we talked about in one of the podcasts uh, a week or two ago, when he went to HBO, the end game for Team Trinidad was to fight Roy Jones, to go from junior middleweight where he arrived at HBO all the way to light heavyweight to eventually take on Roy Jones. And he ended up obviously getting uh, knocked out of that situation because of what happened against Bernard Hopkins. But he still at some point wanted that big fight. And eventually, granted, it wasn't when these guys were at their best. Felix Trinidad was obviously past his prime and was coming out of a second retirement. Roy Jones, uh, you know, was way past his prime also. And frankly, because he beat Trinidad the way he did so easily, it really extended Roy's career. It was really like Roy's last big win against a big name, but it actually put Roy in position to have several more big fights. He parlayed the victory over Trinidad into a chance to fight Joel Calzaghe, who at that time was the lineal champion at light heavyweight. And, uh, and it was just... Uh, it had no right to be as big of a fight as it was. And they put a huge amount of people in Madison Square Garden. Uh, these were big, big megastars. They called it, uh, what do they call it? Bring on the Titans, because Trinidad and Roy were such big, big names. And it Don always had to name them something like that on his it promotions. It wasn't a great yeah. fight either, but it was, it was a special night because of the magnitude of what these guys had done in their careers and the crowd turned out. And again, it was just, it was an awesome thing to see these two legends in the ring together who were so many years separated by a lot of weight to finally get it on. And what was at the end of their careers, granted it turned out to be the, the, the literal end of Tito's career. Um, so when I saw that it was 15 years, I, I was like, where'd that time go? Yeah, exactly. I was there. It was incredible. We got We got sentimental on that for the 15th anniversary of Roy Jones, Tito Trinidad with that. I think we're good. We've got this uh, Eubank Liam Smith fight card, Manchester, England, that we'll be watching. They need to be with us on the Bet US uh, live show on their platforms Friday, 1 Eastern time, depending on when you're hearing us. You can rewatch it, obviously, if you're not with us live. We'll make some predictions, uh, have some gambling insight into that fight card. Other than that, my friend, are we good? I think we are. We are we going to spend some time on the show tomorrow on Friday on the Bet US talking about how I'm like 30 something wins over 500? We do that, it seems like, every week. Is, has there been a week recently in the last few shows where I haven't mentioned that you're right around 30 above 500? I, I don't months? think so. Okay. I so want to say I'm something like, I don't know, what am I like, uh, like 11 and one of my last 12 pitches? Were you three and one last week? Yes, sir. I think you were. All right. So we'll talk more about that with some gambling advice, bet us platforms, including the YouTube channel. Uh, you'll find out more about that show. And again, find us, rate us, review us. We're bribing you. We're still taking those that screenshot a rating and review off Apple podcast because we've got a giveaway of a couple of cool souvenir Tecate cups with the fighter likenesses and promotion on them that Dan has in the Rayfield collection. We'll give that away at the end of the month at random to somebody that rates us and review us, reviews us. Uh, we'll come off the weekend with a Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast to see what happens in Eubank Smith and the rest of that card. Other than that, my friend, have a good weekend. All right, my man, I will see you on the betting show Friday at 1 o'clock Eastern on BetUS. And if you missed that, again, you can rewatch it at some point Friday or Saturday before the fights. Get down on the action and be with us on the Fight Freaks Unite recap when we're done. For now, for Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. Thank you for finding us on the Big Fight Weekend Preview.